Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oitari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who once had a combination printer fax machine strapped to his leg. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and if there was ever, ever a weight <laughs> to drag me to my murder, it is a combination, it's a combination printer, printer fax, fax machine. machine. Every printer used to be a combination fax machine, like printer fax yeah. machine for like our entire childhood. Like, that was a feature that you were buying. No one ever sent faxes from home. Well. Okay, occasionally people did send faxes from home, and even I have. My parents had, like, one, and I remember distinctly, like, on two occasions, us having to figure out how to send a fax machine with it, because it was not intuitive in any capacity, right? Well, what what made fax machine, combination fax machine printers such a dead weight that would drag you down was that inevitably they were made by a company like HP, where if the printer was out of one color of ink, it wouldn't function as a fax machine. Right, so. yeah, I know, totally. Pat, before we get into this week's movie, I do want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to some bonus content. Every month, we do a non-criterion film. I put together a list uh, based on whatever whim I'm feeling. Uh, Themed list, but option five is always Kazam, the 1996 children's movie, just as a release valve in case I make a really terrible list of movies like no this, one wants to like watch. Like this month. No, everybody's going to vote Kazam this time. Guaranteed. Uh, oh, definitely. Definitely. Uh, we won't even reference what month it is because no, that's just always It's always, always true. true, yeah. I, I, real just rut of real, that. Real, yeah. That $1 gets you voting access, gets you access to that entire back catalog. There's over 60 bonus episodes over there. Uh, yeah, and you can explore Imagine how you could fill up pleasure. an entire week of your life just watching just nothing but bonus week. episodes or listening yeah. to bonus episodes. A whole week of watching Hudson Hawk, then listening to us talk about Hudson Hawk, then oh, you probably watching. get two full weeks out of that. Then, if you're going to watch yeah. the movie and listen to us talk about it, absolutely, absolutely. Just don't uh, just do the Hudson Hawk episode on repeat. That's fine too. <laughs> I'm sure, that one's a good one. I don't really remember how it. How that went anymore. I'm sure it was. I fine. feel like it was, that was probably a letdown considering how much we talk about Hudson Hawk in general and sort of. Uh, for vague terms, I bet that episode didn't live up to the we hype. Talk a, we talk a lot about how we love Hudson Hawk, uh, but when it comes to brass tacks, Hudson Hawk actually isn't that good of a movie and right. hasn't aged well in some no, very it's not really, ways. It's, so. I mean, it's still a fun watch, I guess. I yeah. mean, But it is a fun movie. A little above that $1 mark at $5 for those folks who can afford it and want to see us continue into the future in this Sisyphean task. Um uh, we're very grateful to them and like to thank them on air. So thank you t- so much to our current $5 supporters, Eric Cordonado, Andrew Jarrett, Stephen Goldmeyer, and Chris Otto. Yes, thank you. Above that, we do something pretty dang special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard and mail it out with a personalized thank you note once a month. And we also like to thank those people on air. So thank you so much to our $10 and above supporters, Adam Speakerman, Nina Bajnak, Patrick Yako, Jason Westhaver, and Tracy McGrath. Yes, thank you, all of you. 
if you want to see those postcards without committing to that $10 mark or to buy previous postcards, you can head over to redbubble.com, search for Lost in Criterion there. You can buy those postcards as postcards, as greeting cards, as buttons, many of them, as stickers, nearly all of them, I believe. And trucker caps. Uh, let's no, see here. No trucker caps yet. We couldn't. Trucker caps are available. I'm pretty sure. So, so there you can go. Make trucker caps. If you see one that you want on a trucker cap, giant you let me van know. panel van decal. They do not. Redbubble no. does not offer giant panel van decals as far that as is I know. Really a letdown. Uh, it is. You could. We 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 could put out a series of five inch stickers. That, uh, <laughs> okay, we'll that when assembled giant, in like, the proper collide. order. Yeah. Like a, yes. <laughs> This is a mosaic of but, uh, one of my postcards. But yes, thank you so much to everyone who has purchased anything from the Redbubble. Thank you so much to everybody who supports us on the Patreon. And thank you for listening. Pat. Yes. This week, we're watching uh, a totally a normal and in no way upsetting film. <laughs> for, for years, actually, uh, Antichrist has been the movie we've mentioned when we talk about the possibility of watching a horror movie that Pat would want to tag out on. But here's the deal. Number one, I yeah. really like Lars von Trier, despite yes. everything that, despite Lars yes. von Trier's best efforts, <laughs> I really like <laughs> Lars von Trier. So yeah, it didn't happen. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah. We've seen some from this director, Lars von Trier, before. We saw elements of crime way back at Spine 80, which is I what really, really like you. For fell some in reason. love with Von Trier yes. on Europa Spine four fifty four. I, I liked ago. Europa quite a bit as well. I liked Europa much more than I liked Element of Crime, to be honest. Uh, both of those are quite a bit more noirish than yes, that's the film true. We get this week. Uh, this film is part of what uh, Von Trier has unofficially titled, or someone has unofficially titled. Seems like on it's him. It does seem like it the, is him. Yeah, the Depression trilogy. Uh, because they are all movies he has made in a now, uh, well, I guess that window was only about four years, but in at least four-year-long bout of depression. Uh, this followed by Melancholia and Nymphomaniac, um, which I guess technically you can count as two movies to make it a quadrilogy instead of trilogy since it was released as part one right. and two. I was, in watching this, I kept thinking, do we have to watch Nymphomaniac at some point in the future? And we don't yet. <laughs> I, I Nymphomaniac, it's only a matter of time. Nymphomaniac is not yet in the Criterion Collection. Uh, but, but yeah. Uh, stars Willem Dafoe and Charlotte Gainsbourg as, uh, well, Charlotte Gainsbourg is also in Nymphomaniac, but I mean this week's movie, Antichrist. Right. Um, <clears throat> As a couple whose son dies tragically while they're having sexy times in the first 10 minutes of this movie. Mm -hmm. um, and the emotional fallout. I mean, um, I don't think sexy times properly conveys the fact that it is a Zales commercial with full penetration. <laughs> it is shot like a Zales commercial. Um, Much of the movie is. Quite a bit of the yes. movie is. Uh, yes. and it's And I admire it for it. Yes. Well, those first 10 minutes, uh, much Are more like a sales yes, commercial yes, any for, for being in black and white. Uh, yes. And, I mean, the, the, the really yeah. super high contrast intensity yeah. of, a, of a sales. It is very much that, shot. It is exactly like a sales yeah. commercial. That that whole sequence, basically, and a lot of the other shots we see throughout the movie were shot on a 10,000 frame per second yes, digital yeah. camera. Uh, and. 
and it is weird watching. I, li- I like Just, it a lot. Like it's very, from, a, yeah. from a purely like like fucking around with film perspective, I think this movie is amazing. Yes, absolutely. I absolutely. I, I admire, and then they because they use that camera in the woods too, where like yeah. or not in the it's not actually in the woods. It's when she's like talking about it. And yeah. she's moving, and I, the the ethereal, the amount that especially when you put a like, a flowing dress or something into slow motion like that, that it starts looking like somebody's underwater. It's really amazing. It's an yeah. amazing visual effect. It's very cool looking. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of visually cool, cool things. There is, uh, so much that we could start with in talking about I mean, this movie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel like we start... already did because we talked about Azale's commercial yeah. with full penetration. Right. So you know. Right. Well, let's 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 bounce off of that. Uh, we are once again, and this is perennial. So by the time this is released, uh, the cycle will have started again, and by the time you're listening to it, the cycle will have started again. But uh, this past week on Twitter, uh, or or within the last couple of weeks, uh, once again we are talking about the uh, necessity. Of yeah, should sex there be scenes. sexy times in movies? <laughs> yes. uh, and and you know you know the la- like really honestly speaking. The the entire point's been fully addressed by the person. I forget who the the name of the author is, but the the like, what is it like? Uh, everybody's sexy and nobody's horny, or so I forget what that. I get. I forget the title <laughs> yeah. of the article yeah. now because like I read it at the time, and and it and you know people bring it back up for because we're back around to this discourse of like, yeah, should there be nudity? Should there be like sex? It's getting more puritanical somehow. Now it's should there be kissing in movies is where I've seen it headed now. It's like, uh, it's really like, and then there's Lars von Trier. <laughs> the uh, the article is called Everyone is Beautiful and uh, No One is Horny, by the yeah, way, by yeah. R.S. Uh, Benedict. Um, it's a very good article. It's excellent. And really, yeah. it, it, it hammers into that point so clearly that like, really, no one else's commentary on the topic is truly speaking necessary frankly i guess all right so so if i'm picking up what you're laying down you think that the uh the sex and nudity in this movie was important to the plot you you don't think i mean it was I, I mean i guess we're gonna i mean <laughs> i no, have I, trouble thinking of a film i honestly legitimately have trouble thinking of a film with nudity or i mean i don't because we have seen a lot of movies where it's clear that the right. director kind of just wanted to see a naked underage girl. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. But, like, generally speaking, in a broad terms, I agree with that article and a lot of other articles have been written on the topic where, like, this is an important part of human relationships and human interaction. And we shouldn't shy away from using it whenever it yeah. seems, whenever it conveys the message you want to convey. Um, or it's just as a part of us showing life, right? Uh, right. In this movie, it's absolutely, obviously, absolutely necessary, right? right? Like, it, it, it conveys laughed. a lot of information. Yeah. I laughed because I was imagining this movie without any <laughs> without sex nudity. Where it's, it's just, just cut a sales out. commercial where a kid like dies. It's not, yeah. Like, it's not replaced with anything. It's just cut it's just out. Cut so out. we have the kid die, and then there's, like, five more minutes of movie. Um, I will, on the other uh, hand, argue, and I'm going to argue this multiple times throughout the movie, or throughout the discussion. Yeah. The inclusion of Willem Dafoe makes it a much worse experience for me. Oh, yeah? Willem Dafoe's face in the throes of passion <laughs> is one of the most upsetting things I will ever see in my entire life. Okay? <laughs> it is incredibly distracting. 
I, I, I am I will stand by my belief that honestly speaking, William Defoe was miscast in this movie. I think it is a great movie okay. that shouldn't have William Defoe in it. Interesting. Even in William Defoe's own interviews about this, he seems to yeah. have just forced his way into the movie. Yeah, well, okay. Yes, but I know uh, there's a but, but the yeah. movie the movie also wouldn't have been made if Willem Dafoe hadn't come on board and said, "Hey, we should make this movie," because I, Von Trier was not of a mind to pursue this film. That's uh, a, at that's that point, like, now bear in mind though. Now, I've, there's only one thing I didn't watch. Okay, yeah, uh, from the all the extra bonus materials. But okay. the thing about this is, is that like I don't know that that's entirely true. You're you're probably it seems right. somewhat they, apocryphal, in the sense yeah. that like I don't think that Willem Dafoe single handedly made Von Trier decide to make this movie, considering he essentially made two more movies that were of a sort of <laughs> in the same sort <laughs> yes, of mental but after. piece. I understand that, but my, my point is like Von Trier was going through some pretty serious depression problems, right? Right. That doesn't mean he was never going to do it. It just means that he probably didn't feel confident to do it now. Right. Right. And like the and, result was good, but like I'm just saying that like yeah, maybe he would have backburnered yeah. it for a little while or or he would have found the right actress and then, you know, cuz he he was trying right. to cast the the female yes. lead first and then kind of find a man to 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 bounce that off of. Well, if he had found somebody who really if he had gone out and found somebody that like really got him excited for that role and then like that got him jazzed, that could have equally got him jazzed up to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I disagree. Okay. I think Willem Dafoe is well cast here for a couple of reasons. One, I think their age difference is good for the story. Yeah, that's not the the reason why I don't yeah. think that's true. Right. Yeah, I don't. I, that's not why I think that. And I think I don't know. Willem Dafoe sort of has a natural menace that doesn't really play in here, but he does have it. Well, <laughs> see, here's is... the thing, though, is I find that he has a natural menace, yeah. and then like it doesn't feel necessarily appropriate here yeah um it's actually interesting every time we've seen willem dafoe in the criterion collection it's when he's sort of specifically playing against that natural menace right um, as jesus uh in the life aquatic well here's and, the thing uh, i didn't find him distracting in a movie about jesus right 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 in the way that i find yeah. him distracting in this movie specifically it is weird i right. just don't like him in this movie and it's not because yeah. I don't like his character. That's a whole separate argument. Like, yeah, it's something about the way that Will, like, Willem Dafoe's playing the character. Mm-hmm. There's something interesting. Something bothers me about it. I don't know. And again, like, sometimes I react negatively to movies because I don't like the character, and that's not yeah. fair to the. I try not to make that unless I think the director's sort of yes. putting a lot of their own stuff that I don't think is good. You know, I don't. Right. Like movies, you know, we've we've had other conversations, De, but in general, Defoe point Defoe points out that Von Trier doesn't like this character, so. right? And that's a, and that's fine. Like that's that's yeah. exactly he shouldn't. Um, right. But like the point, uh, you know, it's something specifically about the way Defoe is playing this character yeah. that bothers Interesting. me. And I I, yeah. I really spent the entire movie and like the entire day today trying to put my finger on it, and and it and it to a certain extent. Maybe it's the fact that Defoe thinks this movie is about his character, hmm. in in Maybe. a way that like, and and not that I'm saying it's not, but like in a way that like, it sort of feels like Defoe's 
stealing the spotlight of the movie to a certain extent, which sounds weird, but like, yeah, he's being too big for this movie. Is what I'm saying. You th- he's yeah. playing too big. Okay, I, I understand. I think I understand why you're saying that. I certainly understand what you're saying. Um, and I, again, I don't necessarily agree, but I will say, when I got done with this movie. I did sort of have a similar thought that perhaps in having him be the one who survives, it does feel like he's centered in the story in a way where he shouldn't have been and wasn't necessarily in the first act. Right. And, and, and like getting into like sort of it's probably partially due to like some of that's also due to the fact that like parsing what this movie is specifically about is right. Is it's a not necessarily possible but also probably not a necessarily a perfectly useful exercise like you can there's yeah. a lot of different things to take from it because it's very clearly runter is trying to talk about a lot of different things at the same time and right. they're all kind of mixed up and mashed up in his head and this is sort of a, 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 a this is to a certain extent he even talks about a little bit a process of sorting some of that out right like right 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 um, yeah uh, i do i think in that ending Right, and one reason I I do feel like that's sort of inter- uh, important to an interpretation of the film. This film is about a lot of different things, uh, but one thing I think this movie is definitely about is the uh, the continuation of patriarchy, even by well-meaning feminist men. Yes, yeah, that's uh, definitely part of it. Yeah, um, and as such, he has to be. <laughs> He has to. He has to be the one in power at the end for that. To, right. Absolutely. That to yeah. I mean, and, yeah. As, as for that specific reading, it works well. Yeah. Right. It, right. And, it, and it plays into it. Right. Like she's hysterical. She's causing all the trouble. She's the problem. Right. right? She. Right. As, as a discussion of that, that that works fine for that one. In that yeah. environment, though, the problem we're running into is that, like, we as the audience are shown her as that. Right. Right, and right, so right, right. it gets more that that particular reading gets more confusing because like it's not it's not that he's manipulating what she's doing to seem bad. It, it is actually bad, right? Like it, she's actually doing being crazy, right? Um, which is why that 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 that. But I think it's an interesting thing that Vontra is talking right. about, but I don't think that's necessarily his main takeaway from yeah. from the movie, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Perhaps to to dig into that a little bit more, uh, the accompanying essay with this release is by uh, Ian Christie. And most of it is just listing a whole bunch of ideological threads uh, from other creative work. Um, He talks about Jane Eyre Eyre and and Gothic lit a little bit, but also mentions just a handful of movies that Von Trier uh, is in the vein of. Uh, mentions Dreyer, uh, particularly mm-hmm. Day of Wrath, which is about a witch hunt. Um, but also mentions, I think this one, this one's really poignant and, and interesting. Mentions uh, Ben Christensen's Haxon, okay, which we watched back at Smile yeah. One Thirty Four. And you may recall from Haxon, the the last might, bit of Haxon, <laughs> yeah. The last not. bit of hacks, yes, the last last bit of hacks on, and one thing we 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 dug into in that episode was that Christensen draws a through line from witch hunts to modern day psychology. 
Okay. Yeah. And and I do think that Christy is smart to draw that connection here. That, I think that makes a lot of uh, sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh. So what we we also have to unpack that one of the reasons the uh, therapy exists the way it exists in this movie is that Von Trier is also making a movie about the failures of exposure therapy yeah, as yeah. a method. So, um, so you know, most, well, and that's, most of the and that's time, sort I think of probably, to a certain extent where Defoe and Defoe talks about it in his interviews, but where Defoe and Von Trier kind of come into conflict because Defoe kind of right. wants to make a movie that's like, Almost it's, seems to want to make a movie where, like, the person trying to do exposure therapy is like the the good and sane one, like the, the right, one who's right, making right. the most sense here, kind of thing. Yes, yes. Defoe Defoe is in his interviews very upfront that he uh, he does not have the suspicion of exposure therapy that Von Trier has, uh, which is you know one one space where one could argue that Defoe is not right for this role is that. Uh, he doesn't seem to have experience with exposure therapy like Von Trier has, right. uh, but is sort of disregarding Von Trier's experience. Right. He seems to in be interview. working in, like, not rather than working in concert with, like, well, Von Trier's, this is Von Trier's vision. Like, you should be trying to make that come. Rally. He seems right. to be almost working counter to it to a certain extent. Um, right, right. I mean, in which, the end, Von Trier basically got what he wanted, which is like, Willem Dafoe's character comes off as a, I mean, like we see, uh, you know, we we see the two characters. You know, it's it's interesting because like we see them, you know, we see her, like obviously being very like doing a lot of very sort of dangerous things, and like I mean, she obviously yes. drills a hole through his leg and and does a lot of stuff, but yes. like. We also see, like, we can all recognize, like, we all watch this movie and see Defoe also being a monster throughout yeah. the film, right? It like, is... he's he's doing monstrous things to her in the name of, like, quote-unquote helping her, right? It um, is his insistence on rationality and exposure therapy that pushes her back into the system and belief of her internalized misogyny. Right. right. And it's also yeah. worth noting that it's it is him specifically who like he feels a need to take control over her therapy, right? Yes. She brings this up multiple times. And like it's introduced early enough in the movie that like he, we come to understand that like he's bringing this on him. Like he's creating the right. situation like himself. I really think one of the smartest things in the script is to have him kill her by strangulation. Right. Because that is that is foreshadowed in his uh in his approach to calming her anxiety in the first act right right uh, right is not just about breath control which strangulation is is an ultimate breath control right um but he he takes over her breath control at one point he uh he doesn't just get her to to you know breathe in for five seconds hold it for five seconds, breathe out for five seconds, there is a point where he covers her mouth and nose to right. make sure she is holding that breath in. Right. He, I mean, he's, uh, he is domineering. Like, that is yes. his, he, he doesn't believe her real doctor, the doctor yeah. who, like, takes over her treatment when she is going through real severe depression right. and, and things as a result of the death of her child. And instead, she, he, he takes over and, like, essentially starts, like, 
torturing her, right? Like in in, right. in various yeah. level like levels, but like you know, it's he takes over her life, right? We don't see him ever leave her side ever again, yeah. right? One one thing I love about Christie's essay is is essentially that it is just a list of of movies that he he thinks are an influence here, uh, but he also doesn't mention either of the two movies I thought about in the course of this that I think are also clear references Trier is, Von Trier is making. And one is that that domineerance as care uh, and then the uh, the leg injury, I think, are overt references to misery. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> but more importantly, another Stephen King work, uh, throughout much of the movie, and the turtlenecks sure help, uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg is very much looking like Shelley Duvall from The Shining. Yeah, no, I would, I would agree, and that's, and that, yeah, I, that's more something where I was thinking about, like, yes, I, I agree, right? Who, a, a woman being psychologically tortured, right? By right, um, and and the thing about it, so like, absolutely, uh, I, I and agree that's, completely. That's why I think both of those are important is that one is the woman doing the psychological torturing. <laughs> And the other is, is is the woman being psychologically tortured, and there is a back and forth in this movie. There uh, is, there, I think there definitely still, is. From the misogynistic question, it still ultimately lays at uh, Defoe's therapist character, him uh, being he being uh, domineering and and justifying it by rationality and and his very nature of how he presents this even as he insists that she is wrong that women are evil she she is wrong to buy into the propaganda of the past uh he is still balancing himself as the rational man against her right irrational grief and 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 right. and, and as you pointed out like the only the sort of the only possible outcome was that eventually he was going to kill her right like there's no right. other one of them had to die right and period. and there's a different movie where this is more of a like overt horror movie where like it would be him but like that's not that's that's not really a possibility in this movie like we we kind of understand from the beginning that that's not how this is going to go um an interesting thing that I thought, like, there's there's definitely, so there's, like, a lot of different interesting ways to think about it. And the way I started thinking about the movie, one of the ideas that's sort of floating around in my head is, is that we see her throughout the movie trying to deal with her grief, right? Like, trying to, to taking various tasks, doing various things to try to understand what has happened and try to come to terms with it. And it's worth noting uh, and there's and you can kind of take this idea in a couple different branches, but like we never see him dealing with it at all. No, he sh- he never no. shows any emotion whatsoever about the death of his own child. Absolutely not. Like and none. She, I mean zero. She sa- that's one of the first things we see her say to him right. after they get home. Right, is that you're you are indifferent to the death of your child, uh, or to to <laughs> you are indifferent to whether or not your child is alive or dead is explicitly what she says, which is a slightly different thing, but. Uh, right, well, was is more damning than than yeah. than the than your original much, phrasing. It is a more. is a more damning that like it's not that you're indifferent to his death, you're indifferent to his existence, right? Like he he yeah. didn't matter and, to you at all, right? Um yeah. That and conversation like, and we so, see indictments so, of him throughout the movie, right? right? He didn't like indictments of her are more accurately reflected as <laughs> in the movie as indictments of him, right? right? Like he finds out that she was putting the shoes on the wrong feet via photos that this is a full fucking year later, right? right? Like, 
you didn't notice anything that was happening yeah. to your child. You were indifferent right. to his existence, right? You didn't notice that you didn't know, like, things that, again, things that are turned on her, right? Like, she didn't, she knew that, like, he was having a habit of getting out of bed, out of the crib. Well, right. shouldn't both parents know that, right? Like, right. Like all these things that were happening with her, his child, like their child, he had no idea about, and it's not because she's hiding them. He just didn't care to find out, right? Right. right. And like the like idea that like, well, you wanted a, you wanted a, a some time off to write up at the cabin. You took him with you, like I, you know, oh, you didn't want me. Like it's very clear that he's not useful as a parent whatsoever. Right. So like. Right. Her taking him away to the cabin, like, well, you weren't going to help me write it here. Like, you weren't going to take over childcare so that I could write the thesis here. You, right. you know what I mean? Like, it's obvious that, like, he's fundamentally, of the two of them, he's the failure of parenting, right? Like, in a much more extreme way. Yeah. Um, now, from from what we know about what she was doing while Nick was still alive, she, her her depression and anxiety are long-term things. It is not just the grief here. No, the no. grief coming to a head here, right? Um, and to be fair, I think, I think it is uh, obviously very, uh, it is a subtle thing the movie does. Uh, it's not that subtle. The camera lingers on it. Uh, but maybe an indictment of their, their approach to parenting that inside the child's bedroom are little statuettes of the three beggars. Here well, portrayed right. as I mean, men that it's, say it's grief, worth noting that grief, like, despair, and yeah, right. I mean, like we're in the end, right? We're never supposed to take anything that happens in this movie <laughs> as a true narrative, right? right like right, right, this movie right. is not in it in as much a real narrative, right? Like, of course, not. none of the things we see are like meant to represent a thing, like yeah, like all like all movies in general are are you know, fictionalized in that way and, and coincidences that wouldn't, aren't really, wouldn't really happen in real life happen. But like his entire getting out of bed and getting out the window is full of like, for all intents and purposes, like the, the devil or something making things happen. Right. Like, like the fucking door window flies open. It's all like crazy. Right. Yeah. We're never supposed to read this as a real narrative, a real story. Right. As he climbs up on the table, uh, he knocks those three statuettes, grief, pain, and despair, off of the table uh, in order to climb up to jump out the window. And like, much like a lot of this movie, and I don't want answers from Von Trier, uh, but that is that is a visual symbol that I don't know what Von Trier is trying to say <laughs> and what no. what exactly that might mean. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, like, you know, Von, Von Trier's... What Von Trier is probably presenting with us in a lot of ways is is something that is this purposely made without the, like to not be fully parsable right like yeah. you're never supposed to be able to get a final answer about what this you know Montreal well, is going through a lot he's made a movie that shows in many ways what his mind is dealing what he's personally dealing with and right. like unraveling yourself is a really borderline impossible thing to do right that is the nature of anxiety and despair and depression um both as feelings and as clinical diagnoses is that there is no rational approach to it and and even knowing knowing like okay my major source of uh 
of actual anxiety attacks in the last few years um, was post-traumatic stress from being hit by a car. Right. Uh, and what I when I would go biking post, uh, after the accident, I could ride for hours, miles and miles on trails. But if I was riding in the street for more than a half mile with cars passing me, I would get incredibly tired. And, you know, before I started doing the trail riding, I thought I was just out of shape. Right. But I'd be completely out of breath just after very short rides. Uh, and I'd need to stop and I need to sit down. And again, I thought I was out of shape. But I was having anxiety attacks. And it right. took me a while to realize that. Uh, and no amount of rationality of of what happened to me was a complete freak accident uh that that the conditions for which it happened uh certainly are manifest and could happen again but uh by and large aren't going to happen especially when i'm being safer and being more mindful and it wasn't you know ultimately it wasn't my mindfulness that was the purpose you know the cause of the accident you know or my lack of it i was mindful that morning too uh, which makes it all the worse, right? Because it was just a random thing. But in any case, uh, recognizing that that's anxiety and why I'm having that anxiety isn't the same as solving that anxiety. Right, right, right? absolutely, yeah. And and that is an insurmountable gap until it's not. Right. And sometimes it it's not. <laughs> sometimes eventually it just goes away. Uh, but with chronic depression, it doesn't. Right. It can for moments. But then it comes back. Uh, and Von Trier dealing with that chronic, uh, like, like this is a movie that can't be brought to an interpretive lens because it's that feeling of anxiety. It is that clinical, that clinical depression right. <laughs> made into movie. Right. And, and what that inter- what that presents us with is, is a really unique opportunity because we're dealing with a movie that is essentially all death of the author, right? Like right. every person Every person brings their themselves into every movie that they watch anyway, but this movie sort of heightens that to an extreme, right? We're all sort of putting our things onto this movie, right? Like it, it's a sort right. of it's not a blank canvas, but it sort of takes on the air of a blank canvas about this specific topic where you're like you're you're sort of putting your feelings, your thoughts onto it and it and it'll hold that because Instead of being a blank canvas, it's sort of incredibly sticky, right? Like it'll take any it'll take any interpretation that you feel like you need to put onto it, right? Right. Which just makes it a really like kind of brilliant bit of piece of work, right? It's also incredibly deceptive in the sense that like every person walks into it thinking like, obviously, you and I have are already coming, to, you know, have sort of yeah. internalized while we were watching it. Like this is not a movie, like. <laughs> where we're going to ever, like, dissect it and get a final answer. Right, um, right. But, like, I think a lot, it, it has the risk, doing that has the risk of, like, well, everybody's going to read it, something from inside themselves on it, and then assume that they're right. <laughs> right. Right. And then it's a real, it's, it presents a real strong possibility for argument, which is why I think it's really, the thing that they do show us multiple times in the bonus features is Runter adamantly refusing to like right. give I, anybody anything about this movie. You the, will get nothing out of him about what this movie is about, why he made it, or anything. Yeah. And part you of that's it. probably because of why he made it, right? Like some of that's coming from the fact that like right. I don't 
he doesn't need to like bear himself yeah. like with this work. movie is him bearing himself he exactly right. he already made right. the movie like watch the right. fucking movie and you'll get right you you know but like the flip side of that is is that like if he if he were to ever give any of that over yeah like it would be so sticky that everybody would either decide to argue with him or they would just take it as canonical in a way that would like ruin some of the, the sort uh, of magic of it all. The con press conference where the reporter or critic stands up and says, uh, for my own benefit, justify right. why you made this movie. <laughs> and Von Trier's like, I don't have to do that. And the reporter yeah. literally just responds, yes, you do. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, right, is I can see that it's really easy to understand how that happens, right? Right. They've they've presumably just seen the movie. Yes. This movie is incredibly intense. You don't have, we at least have the knowledge of, like, years of, like, build-up, right, where we've kind of come to understand more and more about it, or you can, like, read a little synopsis. They don't get any of that, right? Well, well, they don't, but they do, too, because, like, these these are film press, right? I know. They should theoretically have this. And the guys, the the film press who shows up to watch Antichrist, Lars von Trier's new movie, aren't the film press who are uh, I, covering yeah. the... Like, I love that con thing because we get to see con for what it is uh, with with the uh, with the huge billboards for Terminator Salvation and Up in the background of right, every right. scene. <laughs> but, uh, but these, this is a guy who should know von Trier. Right. This is a guy who should know, who should have some amount of film history knowledge, similar to, if not better than, what you and I have. No, I I agree with that. But, but. what I'm saying is, is well, number number one, like I agree with you. But what I, what I'm saying is, like number one, I don't. We haven't watched enough Lars von Trier to know for sure. But I do think this is to a certain a bit. Like a lot of well, every, like Lars von Trier is nothing but curveballs, right? Like he's just a, <laughs> right, right, a man right, who right, generates right. curveballs, right? And so, like yeah. well, saying like, well, nothing would. Pre- I don't know that knowing Lars von Trier would prepare you to watch this movie specifically. Yeah. It would prepare you to have an open mind and go in and be like, okay, I have no idea what's going to fucking happen right. in this room for the next X number of hours, right? Um, and so there's there's some preparation there, right? Like I didn't read the synopsis of this film before I watched it. Yeah, but unfortunately, I knew I knew a, a bit. I knew just enough about the genital mutilation scenes to know that I didn't want to watch this movie before <laughs> before watching this movie. Right, so. and 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 I I didn't read anything. I knew nothing yeah. about this film before I got into it. Um, but like it didn't make me as angry as it made that guy. But like right. the thing about it though, right, is that the the thing I'm trying to say though about it is that like no matter how good you are at watching films. If if you've created a film like this where where it's going to generate your own projections, right? You're going to keep yeah. like it's some people are not happy with some elements. You know what I mean? Like that may right. engender extreme responses from the audience, uh, right? Gainsbourg's insistence that the con audience reacted much better to the film than than the critics and press at con is very interesting to me as well. I I can see uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh because again, Which, like, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I don't. I don't know. Maybe there's, maybe there's the aspect, and maybe this plays into into our approach to many of our movies, where uh, the nature of how we're encountering them uh, makes us think, well, this this is a thing we should like. Uh, so we we are constantly mentally justifying. Right, I could see that. We, That's, that might through. be something. Um, I I could. You could also argue it from I think the other direction, which is like 
a general audience is coming to watch a movie from a director that they 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 are familiar with and they they're interested in whereas the sort of the actual press they're supposed to be authorities right like they're supposed to be able to watch a movie and understand it right 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 and when somebody throws them this yeah that you can't like no i, I you could watch it a thousand times i don't think you could full you right. would never ever certainly, be able to get get an answer right certainly watching it on a tuesday afternoon and then immediately having to talk to the director about it is a different experience right <laughs> and you're and so they're like these are people who are confident about their ability to dissect film right yeah they write articles about film they are film experts and then every so often there's going to be a somebody who makes a film that just yeah. exposes your own sort of internal weaknesses where you're like well, that shit like i don't know what to do with this that brings up another another thing this movie made me think about that i i do sort of want to explore uh, maybe not too deeply, but this is a movie where our two main characters are uh, scholars. They're intelligentsia. They are uh, uh, richer and smarter than the average person. Right. Uh, or at least in positions of intelligence uh, where uh, what I mean by that. I mean, their jobs are thinking jobs. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh she is some sort of research, maybe maybe even postdoctorate degree research. It seems uh, to be that way. I it would seems say. to be that. He is a therapist, and they are both characters who buy into their own bullshit so much that it kills them. Well, or kills, kills one the of them. They love nearly yes. kills one of the other one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely there's definitely a. I mean, I think specifically if we were going to identify anything as being true, Von Trier's really mainly focused on yeah. he, the character he. Right, right. Uh, I don't... And, like, him buying into his own exposure therapy yeah. bullshit. Uh, yes. For sure, but, right? But it is... Uh, it is a focus of her depressed mind is her own her own research feeding into her own insecurities. Right. Right, uh, right, absolutely. She begins, she begins to believe all of these texts that she's read about women being evil. Right. Uh, she is yes, evil. yeah. Uh, and, and 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 that's and that's where we come back to like partially we come back to the idea that like well this isn't a a like a traditional narrative in the sense that like we can understand that like that's a thing like I don't think I don't think Von Trier thinks that that happens in the way that it happens right. in this movie right he yeah. definitely I, is talking a little bit about internalized misogyny and right. stuff like that where you can like be exposed to something so much that now right. you've made it a part of who you are right. um, yeah. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole and suggest that this movie is anti-intellectual. It's not. No, yeah, that, uh, that's a, that's sort of what I'm. I don't think it's that. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, it is but, a is a valuable comment that he's he's making some sort yeah. of allusions to that, um, right? Which are worth but, but, which are worth making. Yeah, but in contrast to uh, to the film intelligentsia who watch this at cons and need to have a press conference about it now. Uh, <laughs> right, right it's just it's an interesting aspect right. of a thing that happens in the movie and a thing we sort of can see happen in real life in a microcosm right in well the and, con and, and, and the thing I, uh, that i tried to uh, that i was sort of alluding to earlier is that like because this movie has also sort of got that kind of like white wall effect where you you like paint anything you want on it yeah. you know different pre members of the press are also going to react to it in different ways right. where like right. this could really like fuck with somebody's head 
right? Like somebody right. who's maybe bringing something a little bit dark or something they haven't dealt with into this movie, into the yes. movie screening, might have a pretty extreme reaction to it, right? Um, right. And, and and that's that can be understandable, right? And in that yeah. sense, Von Trier is also kind of like, you know, Defoe's laughing about it, but I think there's a certain amount of like, he's also not necessarily laugh like Von Trier, I don't think is necessarily reacting in maybe the same way that Defoe always thinks he is when he talks about it. Like, I think Von Trier is also being kind of, um, I don't know, like kind of understanding, like, no, like this is the thing you have to deal with. Like whatever, whatever this movie caused you to think about is the thing that you personally need to like address. Right. I can't fix it for you. Right. Like it's not, right. I'm not, <laughs> Von Trier is not your right. therapist, right? Like he's yeah. not, going to fix this help you fix this like yeah and i mean i think that's a valid point to uh if it were if gainsbury's on the level when she says the audience reacted better than the critics reacted i think this falls apart a little bit but i think it is a fair thing to say that in even whatever you know about von trier and he is certainly a director who has dealt with sexual violence in the past uh but even knowing what you might know about von trier Seeing that this movie is called Antichrist, even if it's stylized in everything we've seen as Antichrist, but the T is the gender and gender symbol for femininity, right? You may not be expecting the level of sexual violence that is happening, right? In this movie. Yes, and it's all you know. There's no, there's no overt. Well, arguably there are no overt rapes in this movie. Uh, there are times where there is not exactly consensual sex happening, right? But it's still a movie that interplay sex and violence right yes yeah even if it is not what we might think of when we say sexual violence uh it is a sexually violent movie um and that that is a a triggering thing right? yeah absolutely uh, to to see that without wholly expecting to to see that uh can be a very emotionally traumatic experience um yeah this is not a movie i would <laughs> This, this like Solo, is a movie that I would only recommend with severe caveats. Of this is what you need to expect when you go to see. This yeah, movie. I mean, I would, but be, it is. A I'd be more movie. likely to recommend this with caveats than Solo, just because, like, yes, Solo is so much. Even like, like this movie. Yes, when I you bounce I, away, you bounce away from the sexual violence from time to time in this movie, which is just not right. a thing that you do in right. Solo. In Solo, right, right. When when I talk about Solo, I always talk about it as a movie I absolutely do not recommend anyone watch. But here is why I'm glad I watched it. Right, exactly. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I tend to think of it the same way. Whereas this one, I there, I would feel uncomfortable recommending it because it's hard to recommend a movie with so much you know, sexualized violence in it Yeah. to anybody. But, I can't conceive of the person I know that I would want to do that, but I yeah. wouldn't be like as scared to recommend, you know what I mean? Like Solo yeah. still has the sort of idea of like what, like it's just, it's so much of that all the way down. Right. Yeah. That you're like, okay, like I don't know why I would ever tell yeah. anybody I know, like maybe just like read a synopsis of the, yeah. of the key components. I don't, again, like, We've we we've never reevaluated Solo in like a in a direct way, but like you know, right? I understand where it's coming from. I I get what it's about. Yeah. Um. And so like I and I do under you know, I can't say it's like, I can't approach it entirely negatively and like say like I it's not a movie anybody should watch. But like at the same right. time, like 
I I don't want to be the one who recommends it to anybody. You know what <laughs> right, I mean? Like right. I don't want to be the reason somebody watches it. Um, this is a little bit less of that. Right, um, right. I will say that like I couldn't, I could not because you see the the elements of extremely like upsetting things. Most of the time are telegraphed. Right. So I I could not watch her drill the hole in his leg. I just couldn't. Right. I had to flinch away. I just couldn't deal with it. And the same with her, uh, like cutting off her clitoris. I just couldn't look. I just I right. I just had to look away. Like I just couldn't. And I'm sure that a lot of the audience probably went through a similar thing, right? Like you see it coming. Yes. You know what's going right. to happen, and like you at that moment as a person have to make a, a judgment call for yourself. That is- like, can you handle that or can you not? You're given enough time a, to know. A a very delightful moment in the uh, in the uh, bonus feature dedicated to the visual effects artists is where they say we're probably the only people who have ever actually watched that scene. Right, right. Uh, and because they've they, internalized it totally different, right? They built the right. effects. They're watching their right. work come into. They know how it's done, and they want to see their work on the screen. Right, and even even right. we we now know how it's done, and like, but I wouldn't watch it again. Even I'm not. Yeah, absolutely like, not. <laughs> because like we haven't internalized it. They built the fucking models with their hands, right? right? Like right, they've right. internalized it in a way you and I yeah. never can. Right? I can know it's a special effect, and I still want to see it. Yeah, I will. Uh, I do want to s- step back to the. Uh, the anti the anti intellectualism discussion real quick for one one more little point. Uh, there is that moment while she's in the hospital still, uh, where he is sort of forcing himself into her care position over yes. the care of her medical doctors because he thinks this is a uh, he thinks this is a psychological condition, not a medical condition. Which again is one of the critiques of this movie <laughs> that Von Trier is bringing. This is that depression is a physical healthcare thing too, uh, and and really, there's, I think, ulti- ultimately, there's your mind is your body. Uh, there is no there's no uh, actuality gap there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's no gap there, um, which is something we need to talk about when we talk about the religious aspect of this movie, which we need to. But uh, but there is a moment where. Uh, Where he's insisting on psychoanalyzing her grief, and she points out that you're not supposed to treat your family. And he says, in principle, I agree, but... uh, And she... I forget the exact line, but she essentially says, but you have to be smarter than the doctor. So there's... it's Well, no, no, no. I don't... So I need to understand how you're reading that, because, like, she's making fun of him. Yes, she is making fun. He's of him. arrogant, and he always believes he's smarter than everybody. Right, right, right. She's making fun of that arrogance. Uh, is how I'm reading that. What I okay. what I mean to say is that the critique of intellectualism in this movie is a critique of arrogance in intellectualism, a critique of ego in it, intellectualism. Uh, he thinks he's smarter than any other doctor, and he is the only one who can fix her problems. Right. She thinks she is too smart to fall prey to that internalized misogyny that uh, one i find a harder time I reading think, yes i agree i like am, that I am, that uh, you could say that but i don't know that like the movie necessarily conveys that clearly like his arrogance is deeply and in, like intensely right, like right. clearly conveyed in the film it's it's the clearest thing in the film it's yeah. worth noting 
of all the shit we've been talking about, that's the only thing that that's the only thing that Von right, Trier is right, right. definitely one hundred percent saying. Yes, um, that's true. That's true. Uh, yeah. Whereas hers is like, you know, she you again any indictment of her ends up being a reflection on him, right? right. Like she says she wants to go up there but and I, do her research. He's a quote unquote a professional therapist, and yeah. he allow he he like didn't take note of the fact that like somebody he should have identified as being pretty depressed. Yeah. I and like didn't I guess, like care that she just wanted to go off and live in a cabin in the woods for a year by herself, yeah. like with her with their son. Like that's you you know yeah. what I mean? Like it always sort of ends up being a reflection back on him, right? Like Right. Right. But and not just because of your use of reflection here, uh, but also I think these characters are mirrors, which is why why I want to see that sort of lesser extent, perhaps, but but still, I think that arrogance does play into, that ego does play into. Ar- arrogance is not necessarily the right word for her, uh, but I think it is ego. I think it is an inability to see outside herself. Now, she's got other reasons to be unable to see outside herself in that moment, right? Uh and that's as uh, <laughs> an unfortunate aspect of of von Trier's standing character being the woman in this movie is that von Trier is dealing as as a man. Von Trier is dealing with these feelings that often get feminized in pop culture's discussions of them. Right. Um, yeah. And then, although I, what I will say is that, like. I don't really necessarily read either of them as being standing characters for Vontrey. I think they both are. They're sort of dualities within himself, both. Yeah. Like, one of the things I, I know you, you want to get to the religious elements, but like, one of the things that I kept coming back to when I was watching the movie is like, when, we, when we're confronted in the movie very early on, that he is like showing no emotions, that he is not right. dealing with his what should be grief in any way. What I kind of ended up, and especially when you see him being the sort of survivor and he and Defoe's such a big character anyway, um, the way I started ended up reading this is I almost, and this is not fair to Gainsborough's char- character, but like at the same time, it's sort of why I ended up internalizing it because he's not showing any emotion and he's not um, dealing with it at all, which should be an extremely grief like, you know, causing event. Is I sort of end up reading it as more, and this is like I said, not exactly fair. Is more all I don't want to say like all in his head, yeah. but like all just projections from his subconscious. It, it like I I think there's a way I can read this, and I did this multiple times. And I'm not saying this is my canonical version of this because I refuse to sort of adopt a canonical <laughs> version of this film. Yes, but like, um, is that like all these things are like these things that he's sort of putting out there, like trying to like justify either him, his own actions or his own um, lack of responses. Right. And all those things keep coming back to bear. Right. He's the one who's being like hounded by grief. What is it? What are the three, the three beggars? I forget. Um, Uh, Grief, despair, and pain. Yeah. Grief, despair. And he's the one who's being hounded by them. Right. Like she's, She's fully caught, like, as far as the movie's concerned, she's already fully 
embedded in that. Like, right. which which leads me to treat her mentally more as a as a sort of um, you know, not to get into too much into like the de- the religious stuff, but sort of as a sort of like ethereal representation of these things that he refuses to deal with. Right. Right. He refuses and, to he refuses to have any pain, to have any grief, and to have any right. despair about what happened. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's I think that's a very good interpretation because it's also clear in the movie that they do not become his constant companions until he eliminates her. Right, right. Uh it's and, not great, but it is well, true to well, to the well, narrative. And that's why it's, it's why it's important yeah. to like I I don't wanna the the thing we that's why I've kind of as a part of watching the movie, sort of eliminated the idea that we're watching a traditional narrative, right? Like, right. I don't want to say she doesn't exist. I don't want to say she does exist. But we're, we're again because of like what Von Trier was going through at the time as well. The idea that you that people are constantly sort of pushing these things away or you know having to accept them in and and not dealing with them causes you just as much problems as as deal you know as trying to deal with them. Like he. It's easy to sort of imagine them not as being all in his head because I don't want it to sound like a fucking soap opera, right? But this idea of like there, everything is everything that like is his approach to the being problematic is sort of manifest in in the world around uh, his character, and and I think that for me plays well because again, the folk kind of can't help but be the biggest presence on the screen, right? She becomes a sort of unfortunately becomes a sort of, in my mind, a sort of secondary character to him, like some sort of constant companion in a more, like, old-fashioned story would be, right? Like, right. she is there, but, like, it's him talking to her rather than her talking. Yeah. There's there's that moment where he says, uh, your thoughts distort reality, not the other way around. When it's very clear, that, yeah, and it's very easy to read. Like, what well, like for him, it's actually the other way around, right? Like, he's, it is actually the other way, around right? Like, yes. well, I mean, if you, especially if you read it the way I'm reading it, like he is yeah. is it's very easy to imagine that this is his distortion of the universe, right? Like, especially right. like when we get to like, I don't know why this one keyed in for me so hard, but like the shoe thing, probably partially just because again my position in my life right now, but like the shoe thing sort of feels like a fabrication of his mind to me. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like now he sees the pictures that are like, you know, right. now he sees the same pictures that have always existed, but now the feet shoes are on the wrong feet. Like he right. wants to like, and he's the, trying to rationalize and make sense of his own right. grief, despair and, and um, pain because he can't accept them as just being things that are in him. Right. He has to rationalize right. them all away. Yes. Uh, and your your approach here, and I I can appreciate it, uh, would suggest that everything we learn about her negligence or or menace toward Nick uh, is is through his interpretive lens, and that and that is the way I ended up yeah. when I sort of got done with the film, sort of ended up mentally reading it because like it's like oh well she did all these things like. Like, if right. you were reading it as a legitimate narrative, you you would ask yourself, like, well, okay, like, why, well, you know, you might ask yourself, like, why is she the only bad guy in a, right. you know, and, like, when this is, a, obviously supposed to be a, a, a mutual experience, right? Yeah. Uh, but 
if you refuse to accept it as a traditional narrative or any sort of real narrative at all, then it's easier to just be like, well, these are all just things that he's that like are being right. created whole yeah. cloth from his pain, his his grief, right. and, and, the, his, and his uh, yeah. despair. And the way that's presented within the film, he shows her one picture, and she says, "Oh, I must have absentmindedly made a mistake that morning." And then he's in the garage, and there's multiple pictures for us right. to, for him to thumb through. You know, yeah, it's like where did those pictures come from? Like, what do you? Yeah, you know, like it, it, it feels fat, and so, and and there's a lot of ways you can interpret that, right? Like, there's like this sort of, like, if we're talking about misogyny, like this idea that he has to blame her for every, like, the, like he has to like sort of twist right. the facts to make it her fault, uh, and and you could you could read it as a sort of narrative where you decide to be like a little bit more literal with it, and like oh, this is all in his head. She was never there. She doesn't even exist, or whatever. Right. But I mean, I think the easier way, honestly, is to just take it as a sort of like, well, this is just sort of kind of a a dreamlike existence, right? Where like yeah. your fears, your anxieties, all these things are just real in that place, right? They're all manifest. They all exist. Um, and again, I think I end up putting it on him because he's the bigger character in the movie, yeah. right? Like it. Yeah. In the end, like my feeling keeps going like, we hear from her when he addresses her. Yeah. We don't really ever see her asserting herself except for towards the end where she's like actively hunting him, right? Right. Um like other but even then it's always sort of from his perspective, right? It's always like Yeah. She found like we don't see her wandering around very much on her own separate from him. Right. Which With, makes him sort of the main yeah. lens. No, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um like Especially in the climactic sequences, it is when he is the victim, and we are we are seeing him be victimized by her from his his point of view of fear, right? Uh, right. So, so yeah, that is interesting, and it, it's um, also worth. Well, sorry, I, I know you want to please go on. ahead. The one more thing I want, and I know we don't we, like the strangulation, right? Like it's easy in our sort of interpretation to sort of read that as like him sort of conquering these things but i think that's a that's a dangerous step and that's a misreading of Mm -hmm. like he hasn't fixed or escaped anything right like he's not like he's just it's all it's all very the the sort of conclusion in that way is all very meaningless right like he has uh where i mean again the the massage aspect here is is both baseline and more complicated than we could talk about with this movie really well. Uh, But it is, he is this well-meaning, rational, uh, mansplaining that she shouldn't buy into this history of, of women are all irrational things. Uh, And his misogyny with a kind face literally smothers her. Yeah, yeah, I mean totally. Uh, I mean you like yeah. and that's and that's where we keep coming back to like this is a big blank sort of not blank canvas. I don't know how to describe it properly. But yeah. like there the, yes, valid, right? Like there's it's, there's a hundred ways to interpret like are, the way, him strangling her at the end there's a hundred ways to interpret that. This isn't this isn't a blank canvas. It's a Bosch painting. And right. there are yes, yeah, direct like, visual references to, to look Bosch. At, and they yeah. all could mean different things depending. <laughs> yeah. But like it's also like a more fever dream version of a Bosch painting where literally as, it could mean as, anything at any time. 
I mean, as if it could be more fever dream but than somehow, actually right? Bosch painting. But, <laughs> yeah. but yes. But yeah. And, you know, there's visual references to Bosch paintings within, <laughs> also the, true. within the film as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, particularly The Last Judgment. And I'm finally going to force a segue. All right. Uh, <laughs> you want to talk about called, religion? It's a movie go. called Antichrist, man. I, uh, I, think, I actually think, to a certain extent, that is not really super relevant. But no, let's no. go on. I I think that's fair. Um but I this did not come up in any of the special bonus features. Uh it is on the Wikipedia page. Originally, until a producer let it slip and Von Trier decided to throw out that idea. The original ending of this movie was a reveal that the universe was created by the devil. Okay. Uh now that is how it gets described, and I think probably von Trier is smarter than that. I I assume uh, that I think was, yes, yeah, yeah. I think that is someone without a religious background, without the scholarly knowledge, interpreting whatever he had read in von Trier's work. I think what von Trier is probably actually referencing is the Christian Gnostic idea of the demiurge, which is. Uh, Pops up in a few various ways in early Christianity and Gnosticism in a couple of uh, non-Gnostic heresies. But this idea that the creator God and the supreme being are separate beings. And Gnosticism presents this as a solution to the problem of evil. That the creator God uh, is an evil entity, the demiurge, that has trapped humanity's spiritual nature into physical prison. Now, this is part of Gnosticism's duality that favors a spiritual existence over over a physical existence, uh, which we've already talked about. Von Trier, I think, is rejecting that duality within this movie. Um, but it is it is an answer to the solution of evil in that, well... Evil exists because the God who created us is evil, but there is this greater God who's actually all good, uh, who we can find and be in concert with uh, if we overcome the physical prison of this evil. Uh, so in as much as an Antichrist is a charismatic uh, Messiah figure that is a false Messiah, uh, the Demiurge is an anti-God. Uh, it is a a god that is worshipped, but uh, but is ultimately a false god. Uh, so that's all. I think I think very little of that actually shows up into the movie that we see. Right. I, I just say there is there is an ideological thread that I think we could we could pull, but we don't need to pull. Right. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, there's obviously like there's a sort of very like top level stuff. Like, I mean, the place is called Eden. Right. He's right, right. he. She's she. There's obviously like supposed yes. to be a sort of like surface level yeah. reference to like Adam and Eve and everything like that yeah. as a sort of like. I, I, I take that as being things that like Von Trier to a certain extent puts in here more as just a like little hooks that people can like attach themselves to to like find their own way into yes. the story. More than being like truly relevant to like, you know, you know, you could you can sort of try to read things about original sin or something into this movie and things like that as well. But like, yes, 
That is, I think, and many of those are, are borderline red herrings. I, almost, <laughs> yeah, yes and no, because part of part of this historical idea of women being evil is that women are the, uh, women are the vessel by which original sin is passed along. Yeah, and I yes, I mean I get uh, that, but like we're supposed to be very critical of that idea, right? Certainly, so like, certainly. and that's why I mean is like Von Trier is giving us a way into that kind of discussion, like or, making. Picking something that a huge amount of his audience would be familiar with as a means right. by which to convey them into yes. thinking I, about these topics. Right. I think I think by eliminating that twist ending, this becomes a, a smarter and better movie. Oh, for uh, sure. And yeah. my guess is that, like, to a certain extent, that's probably... I mean, I'd have to go find it. I didn't read that. But, like, to a certain extent, I imagine that, like, that's a, maybe a bit overblown in terms of, like, whether or not that was ever going to be the ending. Like, that might have been yeah. just, like... You know, in the process of writing this, I'm sure a lot of different ideas got thrown against right, the right, wall, right. and some of them stuck, and some of them didn't. Right? Yeah, yeah. Where I where I really want to talk about the religion of this movie, uh, actually, is uh, that one of the things I had a thought I had repeatedly while watching this movie is that this really is the movie Mother thought it was. That well, I've not seen Mother. That ah, um, uh, you haven't yet. I forgot. About no, that. we were yeah. we talked about so, it, and I was thinking about it, but I have yeah. never done it. So, so part of Mother is that there are very overt references to Abrahamic religion, even even more so than this movie. Uh, that the the main character of Mother, the titular mother, is is Mother Earth, and her her uh, uh, partner is uh, the creative. God, the supreme being, uh, and there's an Adam and Eve metaphor and the whole thing. Mother is so much more on the nose than this movie is, uh, to Mother's detriment, certainly. I, I uh, assume that's the case, because like, yeah. I feel like anytime somebody's a bit too on the nose about that kind of stuff, it ends up making the movie yes. worse, not better. Yes, yes. Um, and then the the la- the second half of Mother, the last the last bit of Mother, is devolves into chaos while while still being on the nose with its religious allegory. Uh, when ultimately, and I, I stand, and I liked Mother. I, I'm talking about Mother like I didn't like Mother, but uh, ultimately, Mother is about Darren Aronofsky's creative process uh, and his viewing himself as God more than it is about a critique of religion. <laughs> uh, this this isn't a critique of religion either, and it's not. Von Trier is not. Uh, using religious allegory to talk about his own creative. They're doing very, very different things with only slightly similar allegorical frameworks. Right. Uh, but I think they still exist within the same intellectual space in a way that uh, I've been thinking about for the last 24 hours and still can't really articulate. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, that's, that's the thing, right? Like um, I would argue that that you, you and I are both, not victims, but both like we're human beings. Yeah. And like we take from this movie what you take from this movie and you bring to this movie what you bring to this movie. I don't think about religion very much in my life. Yeah. Like at and all. I do. Like I, I can make notes of the things that I that I like are things I I mean I can make notes like any other viewer of this movie who is a familiar with like the Christian religion can take notes of like various like I mean, like, it's pretty obvious that the place is named Eden right, right. and it's he and yes. she, right? Like, you're not, I mean, like, that's kind of beating you over the head with that one, right? But, right. like, 
I don't read religious meaning into things unless somebody basically makes me. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Unless the, and yeah. like and like obviously there's the things about like you know the the you know witches and sort of this uh, this idea of of women as sort of like sources of sin or sources of evil yeah. and like to a certain extent like if there's going to be like something on the surface like it's going to be von Trier making a, a direct argument right. against that idea there is, there is also though um one part where where that uh that evil god created the world thing sort of does still exist within the narrative is very much an idea and and outright stated uh by by her at one point that nature is evil here Na- nature is satan's church is her view right and that is, but oh, yeah okay th- that is dichotomized against a general view of nature being idyllic uh Right, but it's also easy to start reading into the idea like if you there's there's a different version of the way we understand these things as yeah. like not cuz like it really sort of depends on where you come at Satan from. You know yes. what I mean? Yes. Like yeah, nature is because like remember the fox says chaos reigns, right? Right. Like whether or not you view chaos and true sort of like naturalistic processes as evil is more of right. a is more of a is more of a you thing than a than a than the world th- you know what i mean not not you right. but like you know like human beings have often looked at chaos and said this is evil this is bad yes and that you like i don't remember what movie it was but a very recently a movie we watched i can't remember which one may, was playing on the idea that like oh, maybe it was a tv show i don't remember but it was something i watched recently was making the argument that like well that like Nature is evil to like things in nature are bad to each other. They 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 are evil and they hurt each other. Which whenever I see that in a movie or a, a show or something, I'm like, well, you've misinterpreted like natural processes. You've assigned them. You've you've assigned malice, right? You've assigned meaning to things that are fundamentally meaningless, right? Um, yeah. As far as my you know again, because I don't approach things from a religious perspective basically at all, like. One animal killing another animal to survive is neither evil nor good. It is just right, right. a natural process, right? And but but throughout history, right? If we're kind of getting into the same sort of discussion, von Trier can be understood to be making a parallel there. Like the idea of of reading women as evil has a parallel to the idea of reading nature as being it, the chaos of nature as being somehow evil, as being like right. a, a demonic force that, like, well, like. Yeah. This this well, is chaotic and and meaningless. Yeah, that uh, nature within this movie um, is perhaps chaotic and meaningless, but the fact that our, our three beggars represent pain, despair, and grief. So pain pain is baseline. Pain is lowest level. Right. Uh, everything feels pain. Uh, every every living thing has right has has a pain reaction. Um, some things without pain receptors have pain reactions, seemingly. Uh, um, but uh, but grief and despair—they're higher. They're higher order. Uh, right. Some we can observe grief or despair in some social animals, certainly. Um, but not not all animals, and not even all social animals. Uh, 
it but, is but, interesting. But, but it's worth noting, in far more animals than human beings like to often take into right, consideration, right? right, right. right? Yes. Like, that is human also beings fair. tend to imagine themselves as the only creatures that experience these things, which is that sort of arrogance is part, part of, a, of a, a wider problem, right? Right, right. Yeah. Uh, when he sees the constellation, we get... Obviously, we've, we've sort of already had this, but we see them labeled for the first time when he sees right. the constellation. And the the deer is grief, the fox is pain, and the crow is despair. Yes. Um, which is... which is The crow is perhaps the most intelligent and social animal of the group. So the crow being despair is, is sort of interesting in that regard, too. But the deer is grief, and what do we see with the deer representing grief is... Uh, that it's carrying this dead weight of a dead child. Right. Uh, and it's carrying it in a way where, uh, where it could not be replaced. Like one of the things that, uh, Gainsbourg's character met her grief manifests as a sexual desire. But I, I have to read that sexual desire as a desire to replace the lost child. Yeah. Right? No, I, I think that's, <clears throat> That's because that's pretty that's pretty pretty yeah. explicit. Like, and it becomes more intense right. and chaotic as it's like not fulfilled, and, right? Like, as right. It's, she's not given, which they and can't of course, get what she wants right. out of it. She is also using that sex as a distraction from her grief, but uh, the ultimate distraction from her grief here would be a replacement child. The deer uh, is carrying that dead child in a way where, where the. Uh, it cannot be replaced. Like it's hanging out of its vagina. It cannot, right, be impregnated in this state. Uh, it's interesting talking about uh, Gainsbourg's reaction to Gainsbourg's character's reaction to grief and the use of sex. Uh, in that, ultimately, uh, as things break down more, she destroys his ability to procreate. She smashes his testicles. Right. And then destroys her ability to feel pleasure from sex, cutting right. off her clitoris. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> those are, I mean, there, a, just, that's just a valuable. Another... <laughs> that, yeah. I mean, like it, it, it be like it's one of those things about the movie where you know it's you know obviously trying to it's, it comes the closest to actually being like legitimate, <laughs> just sort of actually put in there to to serve a purpose sort of yeah. information right the idea that like well he i don't you know trying to eliminate that sort of line of thinking right like trying to destroy the grief through like well no, no one here is capable of these things anymore right yeah i think it's worth noting that like this is one of those areas where like sort of Montreal might be in a little bit over his head yeah in a the bit. sense that now he's getting into things that like he personally can't fully internalized right mm -hmm. like he's like he doesn't know the grief of a mother who has lost their child right yeah and 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 he doesn't know and like i don't think he did a bad job but i think like in the points where he is a little bit less clear where he's not dealing with things that are directly inside of him he starts to get a little bit more obvious right and that's nothing we've encountered about the background of this movie suggests that Von Trier has an inciting incident to this bout of depression, just that he has always had issues with depression 
whereas this movie is about something that does have an inciting incident, right? It's right. Grief. Uh, grief triggering this depression. Um, and then the and yeah, we know that she has been depressed before, but like, and right. has and, right. and has is dealing with long term depression, but like, yeah, yeah, she has a an incident that makes it everything come to a head, as we talked about before, and it's just it feels like whenever whenever Von Trier in this movie is a little bit out of his depth, he starts to go for a little bit more, just sort of like one to one, like yeah. Well, analogies rather than the more complicated things that we see in the movie where things are. And now right. it's worth well, noting that, like, he's still talking about his own grief and stuff like that. But, like, and and the idea, you know, we can get the idea of, like, well, like, well, how do you respond to, like, grief causing things that you, that seemingly, like, you lose control, right? Like, where you're no yeah. longer in control of what you're doing right. and the way you're behaving. Yeah, well, the animals the animals have names, and as such, they are one to one, right? There's no getting right. around that. Um, the fox's pain, but the fox's pain is self inflicted, right? It's eating itself. It's eating its own insides. Uh, and you know that idea that pain eats your insides, uh, but this fox's pain particularly is is self inflicted. Well, and, and it's crow. also worth no, well, yeah, and the idea that like the this sort of this sort of mental pain is a is a sort of a, a, an act of eating yourself, right? Like you're destroying yeah. yourself. Uh, I also find it interesting in in you know toward the end when Defoe is hiding that he finds the crow buried in the fox warren. Mm-hmm. That that pain has buried despair. Uh, is an interesting metaphor here that is right. not really commented on on what happened on within the within the film um well it, and the thing is yeah but well, i think it, you know it is and it isn't right because the fox is only the fox is just a fleeting thing right we only encounter yeah. the fox like a little bit whereas the crow is like more sort of is basically unkillable right like right the fox, yes. he gets away from the fox, right? The pain right. dolls, right? It ceases to be a thing that we he needs to think about very much. But like the crow is just there. Yeah. And the crow doesn't go away. Like it is, he hits the crow with a rock. Like how many times? Right. And the crow's still crowing. Also not, also, not for nothing. The crow is the uh, the crow is the method by which he escapes. The crow, right. the crow calls her to him to to be buried. But when they are back in the cabin, it is the crow's cawing that leads him to the wrench. Right. Uh, so despair, uh, despair oscillates. Uh, well, and also too. the idea that like the despair is something you're going to carry with you for a much longer time. Right. And doesn't necessarily have to be a thing that you need to get rid of as much as a thing you need to learn to make a you know take inside right. and and make a and like that and that's what we're always getting at in a lot of ways with this movie is the idea of like taking these things inside and and and, and you know kind of growing around them rather yeah. than sort of like trying to cut them out of yourself right right uh which is a thing he can't do right he can't get rid of the crow no matter how hard he tries the crow's just right there right and at the yeah. end of the movie you know towards the end of the movie we see that they're all there right they didn't go right. away they're not gone um, just because he's dealt with it to some extent or another. Can I say one more interesting line in that in that part of the movie? Uh, when we're back in the cabin right before he kills her, 
uh, one of her final lines. Uh, it's right after he sees the constellation. Uh, she says, none of it is of any use. Uh, and I don't, in that moment, it is hard to know what, uh, what the subject of that <laughs> pronoun is. Right. Um, what it is. Is it the pain, grief, despair? Is it the genitals that <laughs> we've just mutilated, uh, uh, and destroyed? Um, the deer, uh, we see a flashback there back to the nursery where the deer is associated with Nick for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously the deer is associated with her through the stillborn uh, uh, fetus hanging out. Uh, yeah, there's, I guess there's a lot of interesting visual metaphor going on here that I'm, Again, glad Von Trier doesn't necessarily explain, but it is a lot that we could spend hours and hours unpacking if we really wanted right. to. And I and I don't think it would ever. I right, I, right. I do think it would be of no use. Right, right. You right. would not. You would not get any more out of the movie from taking it apart piece by piece than you do yeah. from just watching the movie, right? Like and sort of just internalizing what what speaks to you or what doesn't speak to you. Uh, one of the things that I think is really interesting talking about the constellation is. He looks at them and he says, "Those aren't; those don't exist." Right. He, he like he asserts that, and and that's the most what for me is a really obvious metaphor, right? He tries to rationalize everything. He says to himself, "Pain, grief, and despair aren't things that are real." Right. They pain's don't exist. A, pain's just a physical response, and grief and despair are mental blocks. Right, and so in his mind, he he attests right very early. I forget exactly when he does that, but he looks at the constellations like those constellations don't exist, which is yeah. I would say tantamount about the saying that pain, grief, and despair are not real things. Yeah, um, or at least not significant or important. Well, and I mean, circling back to the Gnosticism, pain, grief, and despair are part of the physical prison that your soul is trapped in. They aren't right. real. Right, but from a also, Gnostic point of view, because the physical universe is not real. From right, from and a then we could get, we could we could play we we could play religion <laughs> conversation all day, yeah. right? Because we could talk about also like, true. Sort of like guess also true. guess what what pain, grief, and despair are also not a, like not real in other like lots of other religions yeah. too, right? Right, right. Like um, my my point was this though, like it it harkens back to him refusing to accept her. Uh, her pro like what she's going through as being something that he can't just like fix right he's like right these don't exist right like absolutely I, like from a be- sort of a commentary on the idea of, like of of sort of bullshit psychology like the idea that like right. well you could just rationalize these away well they don't exist so they don't hurt you so forget about it yeah. you know what i mean like there's a sort of like a through point like well if they're not real then they can't hurt you which means this is all in your head and you can just make it go away anytime right right the, uh, and like, and then the movie's mostly about how that's just a hundred percent just not true. Right, like that, right. that's just not a thing that, that that is true of the world. Yeah, there's um, a, there's another great moment where she she chides him the day she wakes up and says she feels better, uh, because she's had a full night's sleep, which is very right. very true to life for chronic depression too. Right. right, just just one day you finally get a full night's sleep and you feel fine uh, for a day. Um, but 
he wakes up talking about how how he hasn't slept well because he's been having bad dreams. And she uh, she says, "Well, Freud is dead, isn't he?" Uh, and dreams right. dreams don't matter, right? Freud's dead. Uh, and and his response is, uh, "So I've heard." Like he he plays along with the chiding in that moment, um, <laughs> and then trails off. But yeah, I mean, this is. This is obviously a movie where Von Trier is saying that at least this particular approach to psychology is not helpful for uh, for his chronic depression problems um, and is not helpful for the grief that she is experiencing here. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's my final my final note uh, from watching the movie is, oh, so this movie is literally just immersion therapy is... <laughs> catastrophically dangerous <laughs> right well and and it, it's worth knowing like and i would uh, like add that like it's he is not really listening to her right like he's yeah. not making a sort of treatment plan based on her what's going on with right. her but like he's it's very clear that like if we we're supposed to if we were going to define the relationship he's never cared about like what she thinks or right. says right um and and that applies probably I would imagine I think to a certain extent if you were going to extend that further to the way he treats his patients in general right yeah like he accuses this other doctor who is treating her of like not knowing what he's doing and not really like treating her properly right. when in reality he's seemingly just applying some sort of template to her that like he seemingly applies to all of his patients right. Everybody, I'm guessing it seems like everybody gets, uh, you know, and this kind of therapy, right? And that is that is why there are so many different schools of therapy in this point, is that every so often we decide one's the real one. Right. And it doesn't work for everybody. Uh, and then it finally comes to a head that it's not working for this group of people, so we develop something else. Right. right. And, and or But but all the diehards of that one that was, quote, right. unquote, still the only one. Still hang on to it. Still hang on to it. And, only, and so what you end up is a bunch of, like, Right. Weird that's, camps. Like we That's why that's why his that's why his so I've heard is so telling there too. Right. Yeah. Because he's not just joking around. It's also oh, I've heard Freud's dead, but he doesn't believe Freud's dead. He's still he's still approaching this from, from a very mid century approach to psychology. Right? right. Psychotherapy. Yeah. Um <laughs> So two things at the end I want to talk about. Okay. Uh, one, uh, as he crests the hill and he's surrounded by women uh-huh. um, who represent the spirits of all women killed by this centuries of misogyny, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Slash bad the Wiki- therapy. Yeah. The Wikipedia, <laughs> description, the Wikipedia description describes those women as in antiquated clothing. I don't know what that means. Because uh, like I read that. I mean, there's all kinds of clothes scene. in there. Yeah, right. I read okay, that. Okay, let's I be got very clear scene. here. The Wikipedia says a lot of things that I don't <laughs> that think are actually true. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. This is one of those. I mean, listen. When we get to a movie that is sort of open to interpretation, that often happens. But so often it happens where you and I have the same reason for thinking that a thing in Wikipedia is obviously wrong. Uh, well, and this one, I feel like this one's just chock full of, well, that's not what I saw. And it, it, right, it becomes right. more even like, well, the interpretation's always like one of those ones where like, we're like, I, I don't know about that. But like, yeah, 
Like this but, one, like just things of like, wait, that's the, I don't remember that being the way that like, that happened. All of these women who were dressed in a way I could identify. Uh, I mean, I was a little distracted by the fact that they just don't have faces. Uh, yeah, I mean that's. But they're they're all in like weird. they're all in like skirts and cardigans. Like it's antiquated. If like the mid sixties is antiquated, but like when I I, I didn't even read it as that because you can't like look at them all. But I feel like some of them like look like they're just in like normal clothes. Like I can't yeah. I can't tell there's the a, difference. Like there's at least one who is wearing slacks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so I was not, like, well, this is not this is yeah, not they're anything. not antiquated this clothing. Is, this yeah. is just supposed to be women, and right. not like. Whatever the like, I think whoever wrote the Wikipedia decided they all had to be people who were born burned as witches or some shit. Right, right, right. And then the just spirits. decided to read that into the movie and put it into yeah. the Wikipedia, which is which is not something that exists in the movie. Uh, but bypassing that, our our, I guess it's not even technically the final thing of the movie because there's some interesting stuff in the ten minutes of credits, <laughs> uh, about his research, where uh, research teams are credited. For, for all kinds of various things. Right. Uh, but uh, but our movie ends with a dedication to Tarkovsky. Right. Uh, and you know what? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. One, it's obvious, but also I think it's sort of a key. There's a lot going on here, and, there, and Tarkovsky has a wide array of work, and we haven't seen all of his work. Uh, so, you know, the... The woods does remind me of certain images from Ivan's childhood in the birch forest, mm-hmm. uh, which are very different woods to what we're seeing here, but is still a woods. Uh, you know, there's there's plenty to unpack with uh, with Solaris and and Andre Rublev <laughs> in here, and and religious overtones within within those movies. Uh, this is just sort of in vain with Tarkovsky in a very interesting way, even as it is much more, uh, well, I don't know. Uh, it's well, violent in a different way. Right. It's violent in a different it's way. It's not even much more. It, it, but also it sort of feels like it's the same kind of, like almost in its like soul, it's the same kind of movie where you're like, Tarkovsky movies feel the same way where you're like, well, like there's just a lot of. <laughs> right. Of, there's a lot of movie there's, here. There's so many ideas here. Right. And like Targossi also feels like a director who didn't feel the need to be pinned down to having like a specific right. super interpretable metaphor that yeah. like runs the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie, right? Like we all, we recently right. rewatched Andre Rublev and like I'm just reminded of like well like at any given moment in the film I could read a thing in six different ways, right? Right. That I can think of, which aren't even the full gamut of the ways that that thing could be interpreted. And and they are so many ideas, but they're not loose ends, right? They are still a coherent tapestry. Right, but they're just all in there. But they are just all in there. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And and like this, and I would also say that like Tarkovsky also feels like a director who doesn't feel bound to like strictly perfectly formed narratives in the way that like we think of them, right? Like, Somebody's willing to explore the idea that, like, well, this is point A to point B don't have to make perfect narrative logical sense per se, right? Um, and and you know you can see Von Trier as being like that and more, right? Like, right? Somebody who has had the benefit of like sort of shoulders of giants, right? Like starting doesn't have to start at the bottom but can like stand on the shoulders of Tarkovsky and sort of build on the idea of making a movie where like 
hey man like just watch it yeah and like take from it what you will i think it's very interesting that von Trier is so intrinsically di- uh, tied to the dogma movement and none of the movies we've seen from von Trier inhabit the dogma movement at right all. like like there's no minimalism in anything we've watched from von Trier. no not even a little bit no <laughs> yeah um yeah i don't know i think the dedication to Tarkovsky definitely suggests all those things in in a way that I think is more overtly suggested with the visual reference to Bosch anyway, just because Bosch Bosch works are huge and there's so much going on, but they're all ideas in service of one theme, right? Not right. not to draw conclusions to that theme, but everything is within that theme, uh, and I think that's that's true of a lot of what's going on here. Yeah. Well, I, could, I I think the difference is is that unlike a painting which doesn't move, right? Right. Like von Trier's got a thing here where like, yeah, I would agree, but also like I'll be damned if I or any other person I know could identify exactly <laughs> what that is. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like beyond the idea that like you looked at it and you saw it and you got your takeaway of what that they're all in service of, right? The points yeah. it's making to you. Like it exists, but like to a certain extent, it's, it's ineffable. Yeah, uh, yeah. To that regard, the uh, the longest bonus feature, which is an extended interview with Charlotte Gainsbourg, I did called not Charlotte, watch that et cetera. One. That's all right, but but there's some very interesting things in it. Um, one, I I I do feel like uh, while there's a lot of information in the bonus material, uh, there is a preponderant like. There's a lot with Charlotte, given that 45 minutes dedicated to Charlotte. Right. So I do feel sort of like Criterion is anticipating criticisms of Antichrist by putting Charlotte face forward. Uh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Um, well, and, and, I, and, if, and, and if I were coming into this blind and maybe I and I if I were if somebody were upset about this film or something bothered them about the film or they didn't like, I think. The treatment of her in the film is the thing that would be the most likely thing that right, you would key right, into, right. right? Yeah. So, so one thing she brings up, uh, brings up that you made me think of it uh, is that ineffability. Uh, there were times she she recounts where she uh, she asked von Trier about character motivation, about what was exactly going on with with the character. And she says that he seemed to be dodging my questions about the script right. while right. shooting, which would make sense. <laughs> yeah, uh, and 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 even says that sometimes he'd answer, "It's just written that way. I don't know why." Uh, and you know, as the writer, he should know why. But as a writer with uh, dealing with these uh, psychological issues of depression, and that this is. This script was written as a release for that depression. I get it. <laughs> right. I don't know why it yeah. says that. I can't articulate why it says that. The, in, the, the inability to articulate why it says that is why it says that. Right. Uh, right. Well, and the, the thing that I would like, I kind of key into with that as well is like, even, even working outside of depression, there's sort of a, we're, we're slight, we're pretty adjacent to something akin to like surrealism where you're like, I, that's just, what I wanted to write at that moment, right? Like, right, right, right. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to make sense to you. Like yeah. it's just what sounded 
right to put on the page at that moment, right? Right. Uh, another thing she says, uh, and she sort of ends on this, I believe, uh, is talking about the characters. Char- Charlotte's job within our bonus features is much more to talk about the characters, whereas Willem Dafoe's job is to talk about the creative process, which is interesting in its own regard, that dichotomy. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that's also... I, I don't know how how manicured those are because like right. these are can these are can like they're like 2010 interviews all yeah. in the same place. The and con like, interviews certainly, but the 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 Charlotte et cetera is not filmed at con. Well, but and I, there's also another interview with Defoe that's not. And I right. made note of the fact that like a lot of what you said, she also said in the Cannes Cannes interview, yes. and yes. he said in the Cannes interview. So it makes me feel like I think, we're kind of working from the same mental I like place. It is. It is, also, it is also the nature of questions uh, that film reporters ask actresses versus actors. Right. Uh, as well. For um, sure. She gets, she gets questions about emotional motivation. He gets questions about artistic work. Um, anyway, another very interesting thing she ends on is that she says he, she doesn't view he the character as misogynistic and her interpretation of the breakdown of the relationship is solely power misbalance uh, that uh, at first as his therapist or as her therapist, uh, he has more power over her, uh, which is of course, as the movie mentions, why, why you're not supposed to act as therapist to your own, your own family members. Right. Um, and then, uh, once they're in Eden uh, and sort of on her turf, I guess, uh, she gains the power. Uh, but that, but it's still, it's still misbalanced, still imbalanced, uh, and that imbalance destroys them. And that's her, that's her interpretations of the characters. Uh, which I think a lot like Von Trier, she's, <laughs> she's better than Von Trier's Stonewall. Uh, Charlotte is offering an answer to that question that doesn't really answer that question. Right, which is not an answer, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, and and then, like, yes, I mean, I, you know, she's probably confronting, you know, she as much as anybody else, you know, you know, whether involved in this movie or not, is confronted with the fact that, like, to a certain extent, great, huge portions of the film are, are ineffable or sort of like beyond your ability to describe the motivations or the ideas behind it in like clear and like concise terms, right? Yeah. And so you ask a person in, in an interview like some question about that and you're going to like even if you wanted to, like we just spent like almost 2 hours trying to do this and like right, right, we right, didn't, right. Like we we kind of have avoided it, but like I couldn't do it. Like I just right. I mean yeah. I could give you a list of a of a few like what I saw like through lines, but like it's not an answer. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, probably time to draw this one to a close, but, uh, one last thing I do want to note on the, uh, on the chaos reigns front and the nature being, <laughs> being the devil, uh, while they're filming, well, I, they had a, no, sorry, I'm sorry. I was going to say Satan specifically. Let's be very <laughs> yes, clear here. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> for somebody, for somebody who doesn't want to talk about religion, you're pretty up there on on differentiating the devil versus Satan. So <laughs> because I do I do find value in like yes, specificity yes. of like 
Okay, like I don't want to get into like right wing territory where we're just like <laughs> right, accusing right, everything right. on fucking earth of being the yes. devil. Yes. Uh yes, nature is Satan. Um and chaos reigns. Anyway, on that note, there's a there's a story uh among a couple of different of the bonus features that you can piece together that they had a location found and had started construction of the cabin, if not finished it. And finding a location was very difficult to get everything that they wanted naturally, right? Right. They wanted the warren. They wanted the dead tree. They wanted the cabin in the clearing. Uh, and they found a location, and they were they were about to start filming, and an endangered bird started nesting. Yeah, at and the they location. couldn't be within a thousand feet of it or something like <laughs> yes. that. So they had to find it. Chaos truly reigns. Like yeah. I mean, and that's and that's kind of like watching the bonus features was kind of fun that way because it's like yeah. Like nature is a fundamentally chaotic thing that like right, is right. all it's all just processes and and things happening, and and like the whole crew ran up against that multiple times throughout the production of this movie. Right, there was no fucking oak trees. Right, right. Like you couldn't. Like, there was no cabin like place to put the cabin that had a fucking oak tree. So right. they they did the only human thing you could do, which is build an oak tree. Right. Well, half of one. Yes. I found the special feature on on the the effects and all that stuff incredibly fascinating. The amount of work that went into something that feels not that complicated, like right. from a special effects perspective, right? Like, well, you got to get that fox to say chaos reigns, so we've got to like digitally map the fox's head so that we can like right. move its mouth around and like, you yeah. know, and then like the things that came down to like very simplistic things, like well, like we can't like actually tape a thing to a deer's like backside like we have to like right. we have to have a like a harness and like so it's got to be painted out right and like all the sort of various things that you had to do like and they all while all the while they're showing us like vfx process shots right having the right. air cones fall on willem dafoe is like the most complicated fucking shot in the world for essentially dumping acorns on this man's head yeah yeah and they couldn't they couldn't light it right outdoors so they had to do that they had right. one day, one day in a studio because the green screen was too big. <laughs> right, it can't be lit correctly and all that. It's just yeah. like, it's just like countless, like really amusing, like the tree, right? Like, well, you can't just put human bodies inside of this tree, so we've just got to paint them all in, right? Like they've all, right. they're all just fake bodies in here. It's just like yeah. really, like, it's really fascinating, like how, like you kind of get back to that idea. Like the movie in a sort of meta way plays out some of the elements of the movie, like the story of the movie in the sense that like they're desperately trying to wrangle this thing that is just fundamentally unwrangled. Right. 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 And that's, you know, that's the nature of depression too. Right. Right. Uh, which is the impetus for the film. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, it's all very fascinating. Uh, yeah, their dedication to, uh, uh, creating, practical effects and then hiding them digitally or, or finishing them digitally is, is it all works very, very well. It's, it's, uh, it's extremely effective. Yeah. It is a surprisingly, uh, you know, a movie like this in lesser hands, all of that would have just been digitally created from scratch. Right. Right. Uh, whereas, whereas we do it physically, like when the, when the practical effects guys are talking, it's like, well, of course, you know, we we see that part in the script about her cutting off the clitoris, but they're not going to show that, so we don't need to worry about that thing. 
And then Montreal's like, yeah, of course we're showing it. Uh, and so. then they're like, well, we have to make f- multiple false ones that we can like <laughs> yes. do this more than takes. once. We gotta, we gotta make, we got the, we had to make the whole clitoris area replaceable. I think is <laughs> right, the exact right, phrasing yeah, they the used. Thing. Yes, yeah. Uh, and they show yeah. the blood pumping tool, like yeah. the, the 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 sort. It's so, it's dark and funny at the same time, and a lot of it tends to be that way, right? Like it's all I kind mean, of like darkly amusing. If there is a, if there is one aspect of this entire disc set. Uh, that really hammers home the Freud is dead. It's uh, it's these guys talking about their visual effects. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, the yeah. only other thing that I thought was really neat was also the music stuff. Like, yes. the music in this movie is incredibly effective at like conveying the feelings. Like, it it's weird how, like, I mean, the music, like, the amount of effort, a, a similar level of effort went into making the music, yes. like do what it needed to do right um in a way like we're not just dealing with songs now we're dealing with like making like modifying existing work and also like a whole cloth making things that like make you feel the way you want of course like film music's always meant to work that way but i'm just sort of startled by how effective it is and the fact that like we're essentially listening to and multiple times the sort of one of the hallmark wedding songs as sort of you know you know what I mean? Like Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't and pronounce then, that song. I don't know how to pronounce the name of that song. <laughs> but like but yes. what is it? La, last year I get oh I have no idea. I don't right. know how to pronounce it. I know what you're talking about though. But it but is yes. a it is regularly used in weddings. Yeah. It's and the, it, it's and, the, and it's a and it's a dominant yeah. theme in multiple places, right? right. It's the aria we here in both of the black and white portions of the movie. Right. Uh, yeah. The Zales uh, commercial then, parts. Um, yes. And then the the fact that so much of the soundscape of this movie was uh, distorted, natural, non-instrumental right. noises. Rocks hitting each other, uh, blowing bl- through a that, piece that, of grass. The, yeah. And like something the, about like there's a horse hair involved. It's just like. Yeah. Um, the modulation of, of the Aria singer's voice. Right. Uh, yes, and and really, and even like while they were performing, like trying to fuck with it so it doesn't sound yeah. clean. It sounds right, more messed up. And then, uh, and then the ultimate, uh, as the as the sound the sound engineers explains, uh, to get the very realistic sound of blood pumping in her own head, as we see, uh, as we see the the guided meditation sequence of her of. Gainsburg walking through the woods. Uh he just swallowed a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> wild. That. Just absolutely yeah. insane. Yeah. Mind boggling. I mean, incredibly effective. Uh and it works. Feels like you could probably have done it some other way. That a different way. But yeah. dedication to craft, man. <laughs> absolutely. But yeah, this is this really was a fantastic, engaging, interesting movie uh that I would be hesitant to recommend other people watch. Yeah, and and I don't know uh, that I'm going to watch in again anytime soon. Like yeah. I a lot of very impactful things in this movie that I'm going to remember for a very long time, but like I don't want to have to go through the experience I went through when I figured out she was going to drill a hole in his leg or when she was going to cut her own clitoris yeah. off. Like yeah. the amount of yeah. like sort of personal like mental torment of those moments where I'm like 
I, I I turned into an irrational child. I was like literally like covering my ears and like going, nope, 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 nope. I'm not watching these. I can't do it. I paused this movie a lot. And sometimes it was because I wanted to back up to to rewatch something I had just right. seen and gave myself a second to to adjust to that again. And sometimes it was moments like that where I just needed a few minutes uh, right. yeah, before yeah. I moved on. Uh, but yeah, fantastic movie. Uh, yeah, Antichrist from 2009, directed by Lars von Trier. We've got more volunteer in the future. Uh, not an infomaniac yet, though I, though I do agree I, with you I that that's probably assume. just inevitable. Uh, but next week, uh, the Criterion Collection is really, really release valve time. And I love when they do this, when we watch something super intense and then the next release is like, it's it's just one of those moments where it feels like Criterion does maybe expect people to watch these in spine number order. <laughs> I I think at some point they're fucking with us, but that's fine. Yeah. 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 We're we're still not to the point where they would know that we were doing this. Right. Because because we're not to the point of where the where the collection was when we actually started. We are getting uh, close, but we're not But there we are getting ever marching closer, but I think we're still at least a year and a half away. Anyway, next week's movie is Modern Times by Charlie Chaplin and <laughs> A very different movie to yeah, Antichrist yeah. by Lars von Trier. Uh, yeah, but really excited to talk about that. Can't wait to watch it. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I'm, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Ovitari-Dory, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. This has been Lost in Criterion, hosted by me, Adam Glass. Find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My co-host is John Patrick Ovatari Dorgan. You can find him on Twitter at jpatrickdorgan. Big thanks to Jonathan Hape for our theme song. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com or hear more from him on any streaming service. Also, thanks to all our Patreon supporters, iTunes reviewers, and Redbubble customers. And hey, thank you for listening.